Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make, for your, do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured, six, measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will set her, settle the matter today. Here ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. Please be seated, church. Let's pray together. Father, as we have just opened up your word, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. We thank you for your spirit who is faithful to teach us. Father, we ask that you would help us to focus all of our attention on you as we look to your word. God, help us to be doers of your word and not merely hearers. God, we ask that you would help us to live out your word in a manner that brings you glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, pop quiz this morning. What? We just started. I heard that. Pop quiz already. First four words of the Bible. I heard the first three words very well. I heard it in the beginning. was very confident. That fourth word kind of dropped off. But it's so, so important. In the beginning, God. And by the way, not just in the beginning, but forevermore, for all time, has been God. God is the sovereign one. He is the one that orchestrates all things out according to his purposes. 
The Bible says that our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Church, can we agree to these things? Amen. Hallelujah. Absolutely. God has never stopped being God, which means he is ruling and reigning right now. Stop and consider that. He is ruling and reigning now. And it's so important to remember that simple fact. Because when we feel like things are spinning out of control, it is because we have lost focus. It is not because God is any different. It's because we have taken our eyes off of the truth. It's because we have temporarily forgotten that God is still in control. This includes every area of our lives. It means at home. For those of you younger, it means in school. For those of you who go to work, it means at your jobs. For those of you in a relationship, in your relationship, God is in control of all things. And so this morning, we return to this sermon series on the providence of God. We're looking at part three this morning because God is always at work. He is sovereign over all things. And so we just read chapter three. For those of you that have not been with us, I will summarize real quickly what has taken place so far. For the rest of us, it will stir our affections for what God has recorded in his word about the story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. We started in chapter one, and it was a time when all people were doing what was right in their own eyes, and there was a famine in the land, and we learned of a man named Elimelech who takes his family, his wife, Naomi, and their two, two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they go searching for food. And they go to the land of Moab. While in Moab, after years, Elimelech, it's recorded, he dies. And the boys end up marrying Moabite women. And later, they end up dying as well. And so Naomi is left there with her two daughter-in-laws, and she encourages them to go back. She tells Orpah and Ruth, go back to your father's house where you can be taken care of. And we start seeing the hand of God working behind the scene because Ruth makes a commitment to Naomi that she would stay with her. That no matter where she goes, she will be with her. And that her God would be Ruth's God. That Ruth would turn from all of her pagan worship. And then we see at the end of chapter 1, they return back to the land of Bethlehem where it appears God had relented and there's now a harvest of the land. But we learn that Naomi is still bitter. She's still bitter. She feels like God is against her. And as they get there, they have no provision, no one to care for them. And so Ruth is willing to go out and glean. And if you remember, as she goes out and gleans, Ruth just happened to come along a field belonging to a man named Boaz a worthy man, a good man, a godly man. And Boaz cares for her and lets her glean from the fields, offers her protection. And then at the end of chapter 2, if you look back to the closing verse, we see in verse 23, we see, so she, Ruth, kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. That brings us right into this morning where we're at in chapter 3. Now, as the narrator writes this story, we have no idea how much time has transpired between the two chapters. 
But we know that Naomi began being concerned for Ruth when she told her back in chapter 1, go back to your father's house. And Ruth said, no, I'm going to stay with you. Well, here in chapter 3, Naomi picks up that same thought again about caring for Ruth. Because in the ancient world, it was much different than now. A widowed woman would need to take refuge in her father's house until there was a man that would come and marry her, one who would be a protector, one who would be a provider. And so she is now in a land without that. And yet we see God working his hand through this man named Boaz. Ruth made the choice. The choice not to return to her father's house, the choice not to go back to what she had known, but to go with Naomi and to go to her land. And so flip back to chapter 1 with me to get a little context here. I want you to see once again when Ruth was urged by Naomi to go back. We see it in verses 8 and 9, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. From the immediate onset of this, Naomi was concerned about her daughters-in-law. And though she was without husband and without provision, it began by her concern. But then you go down in chapter 1 to verses 16 and 17 and see the way that Ruth responded. Verse 16 of chapter 1, Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. The only thing we can attribute those words to is the hand of God working through Ruth to Naomi, showing his loyal love, showing his kindness through this Moabite woman. But it's interesting, she invokes the name of God. She says, may the Lord, all caps, meaning Yahweh, the name of the God of Israel, may he be the one. She is declaring that he is now her God. She is committed to him and no longer to her pagan gods. She has turned. And church, when we look at the story, that's a great place in the story. Because if God is for us, we have nothing else to fear. And she has now declared the Lord God is her God. And so Naomi being concerned for Ruth in chapter 1 now begins in chapter 3. The narrator takes us right back, and she's concerned once again that Ruth needs a husband. She needs a provider. She needs somebody to protect her. And so beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, if you would turn back to there. We see then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Speaking of rest, meaning she needs someone to take care of. If you remember, Ruth was not afraid to work. In chapter 2, she went out all day and all night, and she worked hard. But Naomi's concerned. You need someone to take care of you. She knew that Ruth needed a husband. But the reality is, in this context, in Bethlehem, who would provide rest for a foreigner like Ruth? 
for a Moabite woman. Remember the context. If you go back to Numbers 25, it was Moabite women that led the Israelite men into sexual immorality and idolatry. And if you recall the very origins of Moab, out of an act of drunken incest between Lot and his oldest daughter. And so you could imagine then how a woman of Moab would be viewed in Bethlehem. And so we continue reading in this narrative here, and we see Naomi speaking in verse 2, Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Okay, so here, here's what's going on. Naomi's coming up with a plan. She's got a plot. She has an idea. She knows that there's this worthy man named Boaz, and she's putting together a plan for Ruth to go out and to be forthright with Boaz. But she says he's going to be at the threshing floor. The harvest has come to an end. All of the sheaves will be brought to the threshing floor where they'll be trampled on by oxen. And then the farmers would go and take their winnowing forks, throw them up in the air, and the chaff would be blown away and the grain would fall back down. This is where Boaz is. And oftentimes the field owners would stay there with their grain to prevent theft. And so she knows he's going to be there this night. Interesting. Starts at this place, and we'll get into why that is so interesting. Look at her plan for Ruth. Look at verse 3. She begins by saying, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak. Now, what do you think when you hear that? Put it back in context. She had been gleaning in the fields day and night in the heat. She is being encouraged to make herself more presentable. Don't go out smelling like a field worker. Clean yourself up, almost as a bride would be prepared for her husband. Clean yourself up. Seems appropriate. If you're going to go and, and meet somebody and ask if they're interested in pursuing you, that you don't go out in your field clothes smelling like the fields, but you would clean yourself up. Make sure, because there are some people who read in this and think that she's trying to be manipulative and she's putting on like her, her clubbing dress and she's going out. This is not what is going on. She is a worthy woman. She's, as we will see, what Proverbs declares as what is an excellent wife. That is this woman. He's saying, make yourself, or, or excuse me, Naomi saying, make yourself presentable. And in verse 3, she says, And then go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. All right, now, I'm sorry. If that was me hearing that, I'd be like, what do you mean? What's next? What do you mean he's going to tell me what to do? Like, I need more of the plan. I didn't know how this is going to play out. Sounds like a crazy plan. But look at Ruth's response to Naomi, verse 5. She says, all that you say, I will do. No questions asked. She, she's going to obey her mother-in-law. And, and at very best, this is a risky plan. 
Hey, it's like a covert operation. It's go in and don't be seen. And wait, and he's going to tell you what to do. Like some of you in the military would be like, I, I need more details. But if the commander gave it to you and said, go, you go. And out of respect and honor to her mother-in-law, she says, as you said, I will go. But this could be very dangerous for Ruth. It could be a terribly dangerous plan. The, the threshing floor, as I spoke of earlier, that context of the threshing floor was no place for a godly woman to be at night. The threshing floor, if there were women there at night, they would be prostitutes there, not godly women. And so here, Ruth is asked to go at night to the threshing floor. And so to put her out there puts her in a very vulnerable position. I mean, just simply being caught out there by the townspeople could ruin her reputation. They would immediately judge her, saying she had intentions for lawlessness, that she was looking to hook up with somebody out there. And think about reputation. Reputations can take you months, even years to establish, but can take you seconds to destroy. This plan could destroy her reputation and all the favor that she has received in the land. This is risky. But Ruth, out of love and respect for Naomi, she submits to the plan and says, all that you say, I will do. Look back at your Bibles in verse 6. Let's continue on. So she goes down to the threshing floor, and she did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Now remember, she's going down there. Reputation could be destroyed but also her personal safety. She could be in grave danger as she goes. Do you remember Boaz warned her to stay with her, his young women, to not go out because there are men that look to take advantage of women out in the fields. It was even worse when the sun went down. Even more corrupt times. Remember what Boaz said to Ruth looking back at chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Says Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, do not go to the glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Well, what was he telling her? He's saying, It's dangerous. And now she's going in the middle of the night. It is putting herself in harm's way. What if she ran into another man in the middle of the night where she has adorned herself and she's smelling fresh and looking good and some other man who is up to no good finds her and chooses to take advantage of her? Ruth was not deterred by any of those things. She continued with the plan that Naomi gave her. And we see in verse 7, And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went, down, or he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. So all the things that I just said, all the what-ifs, none of them took place. None of the what-ifs of this could happen or that could happen. It went exactly as Naomi had planned for her. It just so happened that it went all according to plan. Didn't just so happen. 
there's a God behind the scenes orchestrating every step of this. And we read here about Boaz, that he had eaten and he had drunk and his heart was merry. And there are times in the Bible where we read that and the inference there is that the person had become drunk. There is not that inference in this context. He had simply eaten and drunk and was satisfied to the point now it was time to get rest. We also see Ruth's actions here of uncovering his feet and lying down at his feet. That action alone could have resulted in several different scenarios. I mean, firstly, in a culture, in that culture, in the spiritual context of where they were at the time, Boaz could have woke up in the middle of the night and willingly accepted Ruth's, Ruth's overtures in his groggy interpretation that she was making an advance at him like a common prostitute. That could have been the response. You know, having a, a young woman who is prepared like a bride, make herself available to him in middle of the night could have led him to giving in to temptation. That's the first scenario. The second scenario, Boaz could have woken up and interpreted Ruth's actions as those of a prostitute, but he being a noble and genuinely virtuous Israelite could have shooed her away as an immoral woman and had nothing to do with her. Or thirdly, Boaz could wake up and recognize immediately the true meaning of Ruth's actions and respond favorably to her. She was taking a risk. And yet she was obeying Naomi and she was trusting God. And so we read how this plays out in verse 8. Beginning of verse 8, we read, At midnight the man was startled, and he turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? Now, for those of you questioning, didn't he know her? It was dark. And so it wasn't that he had never seen her before or didn't know. We know from the context of the previous chapter that he does know who she is, but it is dark. And so he says, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, if you remember her mother-in-law, she sent her out. She set up this game plan of what would take place, that you're to go and lay at his feet, and when he wakes up, Naomi said he'll tell you everything to do. This kind of goes a little sideways from that plan. Instead of just him waking up, he actually asks her, who are you? Just say, hey, I'm Ruth, I'm your servant. And Ruth wants to make her intentions very clear. Wants to make sure there's no misunderstanding of why she is there. And she says, spread your wings over your servant. She is reminding Boaz of a blessing he had given her. And she is alluding to the fact that a responsible husband functions as the wings of God, offering protection and provision and security to those who dwell in his house. If you look back at Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, we see the blessing that Boaz gave to Ruth. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz said, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And now she comes to Boaz, and she says, Spread your wings out over your servant. To, to spread one's wings, it, it could have been a euphemism for sexual contact but that's not the case here. To spread one's wings over someone in this context would be a, a euphemistic idiom for marriage. 
which is really strange. You have this woman now, in a sense, proposing to him. You have a foreign Moabite woman going to a worthy Israelite man, and she's proposing. She's bringing it to him. She's seeking a covenant with him as the God of Israel had with Israel. We read in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. If you're a note taker, jot it down. It's a great reference. Ezekiel 16, 8. This is what God said. He says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. This is God's covenant with his people. She's now seeking that from Boaz. To care for her as God cares for his people. And in this interaction, in the middle of the night, you have a, a young woman coming to this older man who's all cleaned up, presents herself at his feet, and this tests the genuineness of Boaz's godliness. Surely he was tempted. There was a, a woman at his feet proposing to him, and yet he did not seek any selfish gratification. He did not seek to take advantage of the situation. He interprets it rightly and sees that Ruth is making a proposition for marriage. Well, we see it in, in his response. Look at verses 10 through 13, starting in verse 10. We see his response. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Well, before we continue, notice the first thing he said. He, he points out to, to Ruth, she could have gone after some of the younger men. And there were other options. There were other opportunities for a husband. But what was different about Boaz? We read in the context, and everybody describes him as a worthy man. He is a God-fearing man. He is no any he is not an ordinary man. He's not like everybody else. He's a godly man. And he's also a man that the Lord brought Ruth to. As the narrator said, she just happened to come to his field. God directed her to this man. So I speak out to you, brothers and sisters, who are single in the Lord Please see the hand of God guiding Ruth here. And please see the restraint of Ruth to not go after just any guy. She's a Moabite. She's following the one true God of Israel. And now she's in Bethlehem. And she needs a husband. Surely she could have said, anybody willing? Anybody willing to take me? Surely there were godly men there, right? There had to be more than just Boaz. There had to be other men, men that were committed to following God. You know, I think of, we always say, oh, times are getting worse or everything else. You know, since the fall, times have been pretty bad. Sin entered the world. And so the times now are similar to the times then. Surely there were men then that could proclaim that they were followers of the God of Israel. Surely there were men there that knew the commandments of God. Surely there were men then that could say it, but didn't live it. 
quite similar to people today. People can speak things of the faith, but not live them out. Surely this was going on then. Ruth was not to pick just any man. To say that you are a God follower means there should be evidence, fruit, that you follow God. Not just somebody who has answers, but no application. Boaz commends Ruth for not going after younger men. Sure, they could have been more attractive. They were younger. They could have been perhaps more fit. They could even maybe talk a good game, but they were not godly. Now listen, those who do not love and fear God will drive you away from God, period. My single friends, did you hear that? Those who do not love and do not fear God will drive you away from God. Ruth in this story is not going missionary dating. She's not seeing if perhaps she could just convert some man to the true God of Israel. Think, well, I'll just start dating them and hopefully they'll come along. You know how it goes. You, you find someone who's somewhat nice and who makes you somewhat happy and, and you hope that they would somehow become somewhat of a Christian. That is not God's plan. God is working behind the scenes in this story to lead Ruth to Boaz. The Apostle Paul speaks of this very plainly in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. The Apostle Paul said this, he said, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Look, if you are in Christ, you are now the righteousness of God. You have been freed from all lawlessness. And so don't go make yourself a partner with lawlessness again. And you're also light in the Lord which means don't go make yourself a partner with darkness anymore. You know, uniting yourself with an unbeliever is profaning the holiness of God. I'm going to read you a quote from John Piper. John Piper said this, When we claim to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, and then willfully choose to unite ourselves with an unbeliever in the most intimate personal union on earth, we profane the holiness of God. We act as though our emotional drive for human intimacy is more important than affirming the preciousness of God's holiness and nearness, end quote. God is a holy God. And he desires his people to live in holiness. You know, those in darkness have no problem doing the very things that God hates. They actually pursue the things that God hates, which includes sexual immorality. And so when you partner with darkness, you'll be exposed and lured to the deeds of darkness. That is the warning for God's people to abstain from those things. Don't go there. If your option right now is only this guy or this girl who doesn't know the Lord, but everything else seems okay, run! It is not an option. He is not an option. She is not an option. 
It is not God's will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we read it this morning. Austin read it for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality. The world says it is no problem to jump in bed and do whatever. God says something entirely different for our good and for his glory. He says to abstain. We see in the story, Ruth has not gone her own way. Boaz is actually commending her for not going after the younger men. She's not chased after them. God has directed her to Boaz. God has given her favor in Boaz's eyes. And she now seeks to be married to him. A man who loves and fears the Lord. So what do we see there? Listen, if the person that you're interested in, if they love and they fear God, and this is evidenced by their pursuit of holiness in their life, by living by God's grace and obedience to Christ, then your relationship will be good and it'll be blessed by God. Because their pursuit is Christ. Their pursuit is holiness. But if that person that you're interested in maybe professes the name of Christ and yet compromises in their integrity and compromises in their interaction with you, do not be deceived and think it's only because of you and you're special and they've done that. They have no fear of God. Run. Run. God's will is for your sanctification, that you would be holy, that you would abstain from all forms of sexual morality and impurity and lawlessness. Now, as I think of this, and I think of Ruth now proposing to, to Boaz in this context of, of what's happened in, in, as time has gone by, and now you start thinking of somebody that you want to marry, we make these lists. Well, I think I would like these things in, in a prospective spouse. You know, we put things like, I'd like them to have a good sense of humor. I mean, I want them to make me laugh. Uh, I want them to, you know, be good looking. They don't have to be like perfect, but I want them to be good looking. I want them to be a good listener. I want them to be outgoing. I want somebody who enjoys food and traveling. I want somebody who makes me feel important. Those are typical things that people add to a list. And I'm sorry if I step on your toes and... I mean, you could write me an email because I'm going to say, that's a really sad list. As a Christian, that is a really, really sad list. It is a superficial list. It is one that even if it is completely met, the person could still not be God's will for your life. Even if you checked off all those boxes, what should be concerning is spiritual matters. How about a different list? How about a list that we say, do they fear God? Do they love God? Do they live for the glory of Jesus alone? Here's one. Do they love Jesus more than they love me? Do they make no excuses for sin? That when they sin, they're quick to confess and to repent. Do they protect you from sin? And do they encourage your faith in Christ? Now, for those of you that are single, I know you're probably thinking, yeah, where are such people? <laughs> well, where do these people exist? 
Like, just point me to them. I'd be happy to go in that direction. Like, I totally agree with all that. Like, how, how can we get there? God can. If it is God's purpose for your life, for you to be married, he can bring you to this person. He can line you up with this person. The God who is sovereign in control of all things, he can do it. Not eHarmony or whatever else that might be the latest matchmaker or whatever else. Now, if you met that way, perhaps God used that in your life. But God is working behind all things. God is the one who is in control. And so then the question for you who are single is, are you willing to trust God? Or do you just want to settle for whatever comes your way? Are you willing to trust God and to wait to see what God's will is? Let's return and look at the providence of God in, in the story as we continue on. Back to Boaz's response to Ruth. Verses 10 and 11, we see this. Boaz says in verse 10, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. This word worthy is noble, virtuous. It is a similar word that is used of, of Boaz. In his godliness, in his genuineness of character, she is now known as a similar woman. This same word worthy here is the same word we see in Proverbs 31. The same exact Hebrew word that we see in Proverbs 31.10, an excellent wife is the translation of the ESV. That word excellent, the same word worthy. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. You know, it's interesting that in, in the Hebrew Bible, many versions have Proverbs lead straight into Ruth. And so you finish in the Hebrew Bible reading Proverbs 31, and you get straight into Ruth, which is pretty cool. Ours backed up with the context of Judges, of everyone doing what was right in their own eyes right into Ruth. But that, knowing that word, that she is a worthy woman, is the same that we see of a Proverbs 31 wife. It's amazing. And so what do we learn from this? Ladies, listen. Your personal holiness is the greatest gift to your husband or to your future husband, your personal holiness. Men, the same is true of you as Boaz is spoken of as being a, a worthy man, a godly man, a man of great character. So men, your personal holiness is your greatest gift to your wife or your future wife your personal holiness. Pursue Christ. Be satisfied completely in him. Let him be your all in all so that what you have to offer someone is the overflow that comes through knowing God, who is our greatest treasure. We see Boaz continues to speak to Ruth in verse 12. He says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. We've spoken about this in previous weeks. The Jewish law made it a, a duty to a relative of a man who had died 
to redeem his possessions, to purchase his land if, if he had no sons, to marry his widow, and to prolong his lineage. Known as a kinsman redeemer, he also had an obligation to buy uh, his relatives back if they had sold themselves into slavery to pay off their debts. And so in this context, though, Boaz is a redeemer. His relationship to Elimelech apparently did not create a legal obligation for Boaz to redeem Ruth. Because if he had been obligated, the text would read differently. He is a worthy man. He is a godly man. Ruth would have to simply meet him in the marketplace and, and tell him, you need to redeem me. And being according to the law and wanting to obey God, he would have done that. But instead, Naomi has to come up with this plan to meet him at the threshing floor, to propose to him. And so Boaz is not under obligation. This is an example of the work of God going on in his life, that he listens and affirms what she has said, that he, ha he is a redeemer, and that he will act as a redeemer. And Ruth is hopeful. She's hopeful that she will be redeemed by him and that he would marry her, that he would be her protector, that he would be her provider. And with hopeful anticipation, Boaz continues to speak. So first he speaks of, why, of course, that, that is all good and blessed are you. But look what he says next. Continue reading in verse 12. He says, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Now there's that proverbial record scratch. What? Everything was going just fine. And now he says, oh, by the way, there, there's somebody else that's closer. And he tells her in verse 13, he says, remain tonight in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. What she knows is she's going to be taken care of. He affirms that to her that he will care for her, he will make sure she is cared for. And so we continue, and it reads in verse 14, So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. Remember, it was dark. That's why he asked, Who are you? And she got out, out of there before anybody from the town could see that she was there, so that they wouldn't guess anything promiscuous was happening. But he says to her, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. To his other servants, says, don't, don't tell anybody that she was here. He wants to protect her, protect her reputation, to protect her godly example. Nothing evil had taken place and didn't want anybody to assume that. And so in verse 15, he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went out into the city. Now these measures, we don't have a, a correlation today to know exactly what those measures are. Some say it could have been up to 60 to 80 pounds, which means she's a strong woman. <laughs> um, the idea is that she did not go away empty-handed. She went away full. That he gave her everything. As a matter of fact, the, the writer here is playing on some words because back in chapter 1, in verse 21, Naomi, speaking of herself, said, I went to away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. That same word empty is what is now used again in this context, that you must not go back empty. Showing the hand of God working in, in Naomi's life, 
that though she felt she was empty, God would provide for her too. This is the same Hebrew word that is intentionally used here. And in verse 18, we see the, the reply. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. <laughs> All right, now I'm imagining, I don't know this by context, I'm throwing this out there, that patience has always been a hard thing since the fall. I don't think it just happened since the creation of the, of the microwave that we became impatient. I think it's been around a long time. She now has a godly man who listens to her and says he will provide for her, but she needs to wait. Oh, that word wait can be so difficult. But it is obvious that God cares for Ruth. But she must wait. She needs to wait for the answer. She needs to wait for God's timing. Which, by the way, God's timing is always perfect. Because he is God. And though we may not always feel that way, because we are impatient, his timing is perfect. We want things in our timing, but every good and perfect gift is from above. And it comes in God's perfect timing. And our God is always right on time. And so as we look at this and we, we continue through the story and seeing Ruth and Boaz, there are some who will see this story about uh, this widow named Ruth and this redeemer named Boaz, and they'll see it as a simple love story. But behind the story, there has been a redeemer that is way closer than Boaz. A redeemer for Naomi, a redeemer for Ruth, who has been behind the human agents, reaching out and caring for his people. And though we see Ruth and Boaz as the two main characters, the real love story is not about their love. It is about God's love. This is why this is here. This is why God has given this to us, so we could see his love for his people. It's about God out of his love reconciling his people to himself. It's about God as they would look then looking forward that he would send a savior, which church he has in his son Jesus. A savior that would be, bring forgiveness to his people. Forgiveness of all their shameful acts. Forgiveness for their open rebellion against God. Forgiveness for their lies, for their schemes, and for their selfishness. This is the greatest love story. That the God of the universe and the person of the second person of the Trinity would take on flesh and come and dwell among us in human form. That he would be tempted just as we are, yet without sin. That he would be mocked and ridiculed. He would be beaten and murdered upon a cross. And why? So that we could be forgiven. And that we could become the righteousness of God. So that we could be fully reconciled to God. So that all of your sin, past, present, and future, would already have been paid for. When Jesus said, it is finished. Paid in full. He gave his life so that you wouldn't have to give yours that he would be your substitute. And now he calls you to himself. He says, repent and believe. For all who repent and believe, he will be your redeemer. He will receive you into his family. 
He'll cover you with his wings. He will be your refuge. He will spread the robe of his righteousness to cover your nakedness. This is the greatest love story ever told. May you find rest in him today. Before I close in prayer, let's bow our heads and take a minute to reflect on how the Lord has ministered to us individually from his word today. And then I will close us in prayer after about a minute. Father, we thank you for this great portion of your word. We see your providence in all things. We thank you that you are always working behind the scenes in every single detail. Father, help us from doing things our way. Help us to do them your way. Help us to pursue holiness in every area of our lives, knowing that you will provide everything that we need. Father, would you comfort us as we put all our trust in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.